0: All right, now we will have a split sermon brought to us by Mr. Matthew Steele entitled God's Gang. Mr. Steele. Good afternoon, everybody. I don't know if we care or not, but the back door is open, by the way. Um, Beautiful day. Are we going to have winters like this forever more? I mean, this is just crazy. No? Are we going to pay for it later? Benjamin keeps praying for snow. And he was very excited. What was it a few weeks back? We got that little teasing amount of snow and nothing since. It was a few weeks ago, Renee and I and the boys decided, we need to go visit some friends. And so we went down to the Tyler area, visited with different friends. And uh, we had mentioned to Bob and Lisa, hey, we're going to be in town, Bob and Lisa McComb, if any of you know that, we're going to be in town. And they said, oh, well, you're going to stay with us. Well, we were going to stay in the house. No, you're going to stay with us. And so we, uh, we crashed their house with about, I don't know, a week's notice. And they put up the steel gang and we stayed up way too late and talked into the wee small hours and then were of course woken way too early by little feet. But it was a good trip. One of our other reasons for going down there was to see some other friends of ours. We you know them very well, Mr. and Mrs. Dart, Ron and Ally Dart. We had not seen them since Ron's accident, since his injury and the trauma and the surgery and and the subsequent rehabilitation and his overcoming of just incredible uh, challenges in his life. And it was really good to see him. You know, we, we got to visit with them for a few hours at their home. And Ron was friendly and communicative and for a gentleman of 78 years, going through everything he's gone through, he's really doing fantastic. As I said, he was warm, conversational, and got around really well, and I'm not sure he remembered us exactly. But that didn't matter, because we remembered plenty for him, and we just really relished being with him again. And having an opportunity to visit with him. We had the fellowship of the Spirit. So even though he didn't remember us, we of course remembered him. And he really is doing well. But for those of you that don't know Mr. Dart, which is bizarre to me because there are actually people in our congregation and coming into our church tradition that don't know who Ron Dart is. And that's incredible, isn't it? Because of the astounding influence that he has had both in the Worldwide Church of God and the Church of God International in CEM and the influence that he's had on all theological studies. Ron Dart has been an evangelist, teacher, minister, and apologist for almost 60 years. 60 years, and he has taught countless now individuals, differing generations of individuals, and brought many, many rich truths to each one of us. For me, his voice was the voice of enlightenment. Through the tape program back in CGI days, I was able to learn from Mr. Dart, all the way back in England. Here I was, a teenager, borrowing my dad's church tapes so nobody would know that I was listening to this strange Seventh-day church group. And I would listen to these tapes, these messages, incredible truth in these messages. I'd listen on the way to work, Sony Walkman, was a really geeky kid, Or I would listen in my room with Bible study and fast forward and rewind and go back over that again. Let's replay that whole thing again and just really dig it down deep into whatever the subject matter was. And without a doubt, he was my favorite speaker, my favorite teacher in the tape program at that time. No sooner would I finish one tape, (laughs) I would want to go look in the mail for the next one just hungered to hear more words of truth through, the, through the, the servant that Ron Dart was. Through Mr. Dart's sermons and Bible studies and long discussions with my dad, I learned all about the Sabbath, I learned about the Holy Days, I learned about history and prophecy, I learned about the Epistles of Paul, incredible Bible study series, and it was a great blessing to have that teaching, and of course my dad was there helping to illuminate from his perspective as well. And although my dad was in the Worldwide and then later in CGI, I was raised Baptist. And you know, it wasn't until I became more aware uh, as an older teenager of what my father believed and then started to explore the subjects myself that I started to realize that God was calling me in a new direction and moving me on to a new place. So I had the same struggles as many first generation Church of God Christians have. And yet at the same time, I'm also second generation through my dad. But God, through the teaching style of Mr. Dart, Spoke to me. And he lifted me to a new place of understanding. A deeper place of understanding about his word. And it would radically change my life. My life could have totally gone a different way. I would leave the Baptist church and become, as I mentioned, in many ways a first-generation Church of God. When I was a teenager, a young man, I never would have imagined that at some point in my future I would get to meet this teacher that I, would, that I respected so much, and not only get to meet him, but get to know him personally, and it was a tremendous blessing for me because I've learned so much through his ministry. So, Renee and I visited with Ron and Allie for about two hours, and it was a good visit. There, of course, were things that were sad, but regardless of how hard Mr. Dart tried, he was not able to fully engage in the conversation. He would start to make a point or interject something, and the words would fail him, and he would kind of lose direction. It didn't stop him trying again a few minutes later and trying to participate, and he had incredible patience. You could tell that he knew what he wanted to say, but the the words just failed. And so, right as I was thinking, and really feeling quite sad that I wasn't able to learn any more from Mr. Dart, there wouldn't be another lesson from him, something remarkable happened. and it was very moving. Both Renee and I had hair standing on the back of our necks. We were very moved. You see, just the day before, Renee and I had been talking about some dear friends of ours who are good Christian people, but they don't worship God in our congregation and don't have our tradition. They go to a different church. They go to a Sunday church, which happens to meet on a Saturday, but anyway. And more and more churches are, too, which is an interesting observation. But you can tell by how they live their life and the fruit that they have, that they do have fruits of the Spirit. And so, you know, this is a quandary, and we were talking about this, and how can that be? And and are we missing something? And we were just talking as we we're driving down to Tyler. So that was the backdrop to what Mr. Dart was about to say. Almost out of context, he just kind of raises his hand the way he does when he's about to say something profound, and you listen. Okay, here comes. He says, You know, do you think that there are others, meaning outside of our tradition, who are in God's gang too? And we're like, uh, Yes. I mean, we were, just talking about <laughs> we were just talking about this. And this is kind of coming out of nowhere. And we said, Yes. And he says, I do too. And it seems to me that when I listen to what they say, and I listen to some of these others, I recognize the master's voice. And we were just blown away. Because nothing in our conversation to this point been this lucid, this clear, this striking, and he went on to talk for about 10 minutes in this subject and expound his view on that and why he thought that. And it was really very moving and it was a, it was a gift to us. Because we had been so taught by him all these years and to have that last opportunity, perhaps, to be taught another lesson, just when we thought he didn't have anything else to give. So through all the trauma and all the difficulties, he was still able to teach us something. For a moment, we were a little lost for words, and then Renee said, Mr. Dart, I really wish that you could tell others about uh, that others could hear what you've just told us he said you know and she also mentioned about his rehabilitation and, and all the things that he's gone to gone through and he said he was grateful for the things that he has learned and he said that God, has taught him things through this experience, which is incredible. You know, a man whose intellect was his life, whose entire career and service to God was born out of the, the mind, and the spirit of God in that mind, to have that mind stricken. And that was a lesson to him that he accepted. That he was gracious with, he was okay with, and he was grateful for. And Renee said, I wish that we, that others could hear what you've told us. And he said, Tell them. Tell them. Share it with them. And so that's why I bring it up today. Because it was a very intimate conversation, it was a very intimate experience. But he told us to tell, to share that which maybe he cannot share himself. But if I was to stay true to the approach that I've learned from Mr. Dart about how we study the Bible, we need to question what he said. Are there others that are in God's gang? Others that speak with the Master's voice? Are there others? I don't think I'm the only one, at least I hope I'm not the only one, that struggles with understanding how God's relationship can can be manifest in the lives of others who are not in our tradition. How is that? How can someone who is blinded to the lies of, let's say, Christmas and Easter and, and all these, what we know and identify as pagan attributes? how could they show forth any fruits of the Spirit? They're blinded, they don't understand God's truth. How is that? Can they be in God's gang? How can someone who thinks the law was nailed to the cross have the fruits of the Spirit? How is that? You know, I have met people who will confess in one way but the law is done away with. Christ took that away. But yet raised their children to not lie and not steal and to honor their father and their mother, and to follow Jesus Christ and God the Father and no other gods. So how can we reconcile this? How can we reconcile these this dichotomy? What do we do with this? Well, we may not be able to answer every facet of this question, but there are some passages of Scripture that we can look at that may give us some insight into this question. Back when Paul was writing to the Ephesians, there were two groups of people who read the same Scriptures. One group had all the Law and the Testaments. They had all the history and the commandments. They had the covenant of Moses. Yet, with all of that, they were blinded to the truth. They were blinded to the truth of God concerning the Messiah. That Jesus was, in fact, the very real Son of God and the Messiah that they had been looking all over for. Excuse me, Jesus, we're looking for the the Messiah. Completely oblivious, were they not? And yet, all this knowledge and truth they had. The other group also had the commandments of God just as the Jews did, but in addition, they had the testimony of Jesus Christ. They did not have the weight of history, but neither did they have the burdens of the Jewish traditions. They did have the grace of God through Christ Jesus as well as the commandments of God. And we know these folks, of course, as the early church, as Christians. So, two groups. You know, the Jewish faith and its followers were burdened down with the doctrines and the commandments of men. Doctrines and commandments of men. The traditions of faith built up over centuries from be- and, and becoming so pervasive. But they even supplanted God's commandments. In Mark chapter 7 and verse 1, it says, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups and pitchers and and, uh, and copper vessels. And then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do you, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered and said to them, Well, or rather well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. And he said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Teaching for doctrines. commandments of men, and making null God's commandments. Yet with all these errors, with all these religious corruptions and practices that prevented people from really following God and obeying God's commandments, there were people like Simeon. You remember Simeon? In Luke chapter 2 and verse 25, Simeon met Jesus as a little babe. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the Jesus child to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which are spoken of him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Uh, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. God's Christ a savior of all Gentiles and Israel identified by a Jew of whom the spirit of God was upon and yet by all accounts we can assume that he was in the tradition of Judaism at the time fascinating we shouldn't assume too much of that But still, it's worth considering. This babe was the salvation of all peoples, and he would bring salvation to the Gentiles. He was not just going to be the savior of the Jews or the 12 tribes of Israel, but rather all men everywhere, past, present, and future. Words from the man whose religious practices were in all likelihood at least influenced by the culture and the religion of Judaism at the time. But this is not unfamiliar to us today, is it? This is something that we see today. The broader Christian world Is completely riddled with the doctrines and practices of men. Is it not? But is it any more riddled than Judaism was at the time of Christ? It's an interesting symmetry. It's kind of ironic. The Jews filled their faith with man-made rules, burdening the people and making the law of God of no effect modern Christianity does the same by claiming that the perfect law of liberty is obsolete. But yet, bring in other man-made laws and celebrations and practices, denying the people, denying their congregants the wonderful insight into God's nature that we have through keeping of his holy days, through keeping of his commandments, of studying them in richer and deeper ways. Yet just as with Simeon, we do find men and women who are devout, who show the fruits of the Spirit. They have love and passion for their Savior. They do obey God. Some of them even go to church on the Sabbath, as we discussed earlier. Of course, that's a far cry from understanding the Sabbath. But there are plenty of individuals that do seriously and faithfully follow God as it has been revealed to them. So what's the answer to all of this? We're still no closer, perhaps, to getting an understanding of these questions. Well, Paul addressed it in many ways in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He says, and you, talking to the Ephesians, the Gentiles, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which... You were once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How many times have we heard this passage? studied it, to me, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's just a powerful, powerful passage. I wish I would remember to meditate on this, because it would remind me of so many things, that I am here by the grace of God, that I have learned his truth by the grace of God that I should have that kind of grace toward others. But what Paul is saying here, at least what I take from what he is saying here, is that Jew, Greek, Gentile, Israelite, Sunday Christian, Sabbath Christian are not saved by the works of the law. We're not saved by those works. There is no salvation in commandments, ordinances of God by grace that we are saved unto those commandments unto those good works they are beautiful they are instructions in righteousness they are the lights to our path they build in us the character of God but they can never and They can never and never will be able to redeem us. Jesus, the very God who created us, his own lifeblood was that gift. By grace, we are saved. But more than that, it is only with that persistent indwelling of Christ in us that we are capable of walking in the commandments of God. I used to have this idea that I was a sinner. I accepted Jesus Christ. I received, I was baptized. I received the laying on of hands. And all of that process was just like a little reset button. Boop. Reset. Start over. Yes, in some ways. But then I thought, now I have to walk in God's commandments. I can do this. Never sin again? Sure. I thought it was my responsibility. I can't do that without Christ in me. And even with Christ in me, I don't always do a banged up job. So that indwelling, of the Holy Spirit, that nature of Christ in me must be performing it in a little different way than I'm thinking, or that I was thinking. I was wrong. It is only Christ in me. It is only with him living in me, the Spirit of God working within me, that I can do any good work. It's by grace that we are saved. In fact, if we attempt, if we attempt to save ourselves or try and walk in this, this new way, these commandments of God without Christ in us, if we try and do that ourselves, I think it's likely we will start doing some of the things that the Jewish religion has done. We'll start creating extra rules around the rules. Oh, I don't want to go there. I don't want to break God's God's commandment regarding Sabbath, so I won't turn on the radio. Now, I'm not saying that's good or bad, but that's our rule, right? The Bible doesn't say don't turn on the radio. It just says to keep the Sabbath day holy. But if we are trying to keep holy by just walking in those commandments, thinking that we can do it perfectly, we will start to add extra rules. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, Paul gives us a different perspective. He says, and we have such trust through Christ toward God that not that that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves. That we are not sufficient. That our attempts are not sufficient of walking a godly and and sinless life. Who has also made us sufficient... But our sufficiency, rather, is from God, who has also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Oh. Of the Spirit, not of the letter. Okay. For the letter kills. The letter of the law kills. But the spirit gives life. You know, we kind of run away sometimes from this passage maybe because it's pretty popular amongst the wider Christian community for them to say, we keep the spirit of the law. This isn't a get out clause. This isn't like, you know, you're skirting around the rules. We still have to keep the law. But we keep the law perfectly through the spirit of God and through the spirit of the law. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily into the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because the glory that excels for, that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For unto this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the, the veil is taken away in Christ. The veil. There's a veil. There's a veil over the eyes, over the mind of the Jewish faith, of the Jewish people. And he said it was there in his day. It's still here, isn't it? But there's another veil. It seems to me that the larger wider Christian world have another veil. They seem to be blinded to the truth of God in regards to obedience and His commandments. Now, of course, Paul couldn't speak to that, could he? Because that hadn't happened yet. But it is something that we should consider. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Paul, in describing this veil, that was and still is, in the minds of the Jewish world could also be describing the Christian world. They see Christ, but yet not the whole of him. They are missing the rich lore of liberty. Not as Paul said of the letter, but of the spirit. Yet, by the grace of God, the veil has been taken away from us have you considered that that if there's a veil over the people of the Jewish faith and there's a veil over this larger Christian community in in the world how unique we are to not have either those veils that we can see Christ we can see the testimony of Jesus Christ and the commandments of God to us. It's just the way it is. This is normal. And we know in the future, this is how it will be everywhere. But we should heed Paul's warning back in Ephesians. He says, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by hands that at the time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and the strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world but now in Christ Jesus you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made both one the enmity. There's a lot in there. But there's some really powerful implications. Because what Paul was saying here, back in his time, in his day, there was a separation. There was a gulf between the Gentiles and the Jews. And they couldn't mix. A Jew could not go into the home of a Gentile and A Gentile was certainly not invited into the home of a Jew. There was a massive gulf. There were laws, but they're not God's laws. They were man-made laws. They were these laws of separation, not God's laws. These were commandments of men. In fact, back in the law of God, in Exodus 39, God says there will be no difference between an Israelite or a Gentile, a stranger. One law for both people. One law for everyone. One law. So that if a Gentile or a stranger wants to participate in the covenant of God. He has to be circumcised. That's part of the covenant. But after that, there is no more difference. One law. The separation, I think that Paul was talking about here, is not God's separation between Jews and Gentiles, Israelites and strangers, It's man-made ordinances denying the vast majority of humanity access to the faith of God as it was revealed to that point. But Paul makes it clear, this wall of separation has been demolished, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man From the two, thus making peace. I want to ask you a question. If Jesus through his flesh was able to break down this law of separation, these walls of separation between Jew and Gentile, why would he not continue to do the same? throughout the ages, on up until and including today. Does he like this wall of separation that has been built up? Does he want that? That's not his objective, is it? He wants to make one in the same, to bring about unity in him, in righteousness following his laws and having his testimony. Why would he not continue his work of breaking down these laws of man in the wider Christian faith? Many of us who are here today are former Baptists, former Baptists. You have any former Methodists? Guys hiding in there? Any former Catholics? <gasps> I just threw that in there for you, Ron. Thank you very much. <laughs> Any Episcopalians? catholic light? No, I didn't say it. All of you are testaments to this same reconciliation that has been working and continues to work in the lives of men and women on this earth. But God has broken down the walls of separation. And Christ is building and will continue to build his church, drawn from wherever he decides. Working from the time of Paul even till now. Paul continues back in Ephesians, verse 17, and he says, And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near." Same message for those who are far off and those that were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So when we fellowship with friends, family, neighbors, who are genuinely trying to walk a life of righteousness, who are have a love for God, are committed to their faith, teach their children righteously, are good Christian people to their neighbors. When we fellowship with them, we shouldn't struggle anymore with our relationship. As in everything else, Jesus has shown us the way. He came and preached peace. Likewise, we also should preach peace. Teach priests, or we could preach peace should we hide the truth of God gloss over a little for the sake of being friends no one of the good friends I'm alluding to we were having a picnic lunch and uh, I don't know how it happened but somehow it came up about clean and unclean foods and we're having a picnic lunch with our families all together it's great fun. And as he's eating a ham sandwich, he says, so, would it be a sin to you? <laughs> well, yeah, it would. And both wives are like, oh no, this is going to end badly. But it didn't. Conversation moved on. It was again a little pause there. He knows how I feel. If you wanted to know some more, I would answer more questions. I'm not going to beat him around the head with it. Try and speak peacefully about it. That was just one example. And we've all had those experiences. But I just really realized, I don't need to wrestle with this. Who am I to judge another man's servant? I just got to keep myself in the faith that I know that I have been called to. So how are we to relate to these brothers? Well, that's it. They are brothers. And if they're not now, in all likelihood, they will be. One way or another. At one time or another. Now or in the future. If we preach peace and the truth in peace, if we practice love, the love of God in our lives, then we might very well be the instruments that lift that veil from their eyes. That would be fun to see, wouldn't it? You can just see the light come on. But I don't know if we should be so conceited as not to think that there may be a veil or two for us to be lifted. So we shouldn't be wise in our own eyes, right? We got down. We're going to teach you guys how it is. We should have confidence in what we believe, but understanding always that God can determine to reveal something to us when he decides. Paul continues, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens, with the saints and with the members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole world building being fitted together rather the whole building being fitted together grows into the holy temple of God in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are being built. It's not completed yet. Brethren, it is quite possible that membership in God's gang is much wider and deeper than we have yet imagined.